poetry for me is a kind of freedom where it's not that necessarily that I can just say anything I want, but it helps me to get closer to the truth of reality. You're listening to Chief Executive Ante, the podcast exploring the work lives of Asian Americans beyond the conventional doctor, lawyer, and engineer. I'm your host, Jennifer Duan Faltz. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the show. My guest today is Lisa Kwong, published poet and instructor of English and Asian American Studies at Indiana University and Ivy Tech Community College. She grew up in Radford, Virginia, is a creative writing alumna of Appalachian State University, and holds an MFA in poetry from Indiana University. She currently resides in Bloomington. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. So tell me, kind of in your own words, what do you really do for a living? Well, I think my primary, two primary professional roles are writer and educator. Mm Mm-hmm. And I've, I've also been a public speaker and an event coordinator in the past. Cool. And so you work at both Indiana University and Ivy Tech Community College as an instructor, correct? Yes. And what kind of courses do you teach? So at IU, I teach courses in Asian American Studies and English Composition. I also graduated with my MFA from there, so I've also taught creative writing. Okay. Are your students there tip I mean do you have students of all ages do you have a typical do you have a particular you know age group that kind of goes into your classes or is it everybody So in terms of the fresh well I guess for English composition it's mainly freshmen a few sophomores for my Asian American studies classes the largest demographic by far are Asian international students mostly oh, that's Chi- interesting. mostly Chinese Okay so there and so they're Asian international students, meaning they've, they're, kind of, they're here in the United States for their education, but they choose to take an Asian American studies course. Um, do they kind of, what's, what's their take on the class? Are they, are they there to learn more about the American culture side or kind of what are they there for? Yes, they do want to learn more about what it's like to be Asian in America, especially if they plan to stay in the U.S. Mm. for employment. Mm-hmm. I don't know, and maybe you can speak to this from your perspective as an instructor and as a scholar of Asian studies. Like, how, you know, how do we get quote unquote representation without, I don't know, tokenism? Well, I also want to um, correct you on something that a lot of people make. Um, So there is a difference, even though they are obviously about similar people, there is a difference between saying Asian studies and Asian American studies. And actually that is a challenge I face as an instructor of Asian American studies is that whenever people ask me what I teach Mm -hmm. and I say Asian American studies, Mm -hmm. they automatically do, they do not hear the American part Mm -hmm. at all. And they automatically assume that I teach some kind of language. Mm -hmm. Uh, They ask me what countries I cover. Where are you really from? Um, <laughs> actually, I had a interaction with the older white gentleman uh, last. 
in the, in the last few weeks where I said I'm a faculty member in Asian American Studies, and he pretty much hit all the um, stereotypical responses I get. No. So, right. No. <laughs> so, so, so not hearing the American part, telling me about um, it might have been his wife, it might have been some other family member relative who is from an Asian country, and then, um, you know, proceeding to tell me about said family member. And then when I tried to correct him about saying, no, I focused on Asian American experiences in the U.S., then he proceeded to um, talk about how much he knows about um, Asians and I think Seattle or something. <laughs> so trying to prove how much knowledge he has about Asian people. Right, and it's just like... Do I care? No. <laughs> like what? What? What is he? Like what was he trying to prove? I I just don't know. I think he oh. was just trying to prove that he knew something about what about who I, you know, who I am and what I do. So yeah, and that's just that's just not a fun feeling. And now you grew up in Radford, Virginia. Is that correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. And you describe yourself as an Appalachian poet. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. I I grew up in the Midwest as well. I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. But I imagine were you were you the only Asian in town? Was your family? Uh, no, actually, you know, the older I get, the more I think about you know. Well, it was obviously a small town, and there weren't a lot of people of color. There was still kind of a remarkable handful of us for quote unquote diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I guess maybe to give an example, I mean, and this kind of falls into the model minority stereotype in a way, but, um, you know, the valedictorian of my graduating class, uh, he was Taiwanese American, mm-hmm. um, made straight A's, uh, took college classes while sure. he was in high school. Um, and then the salutatorian uh, was actually a um, biracial uh, Pakistani American guy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. How do we, how have your experiences from growing up has that shaped your work as a poet or your work as an educator in any way? Yes, certainly where I come from and my family history and background has certainly influenced my work as a writer and an educator. Uh, so one way that I always feel or one way that I felt different from other Asian Americans in my community growing up was that I felt like almost everyone else, their parents were doctors or professors Mm -hmm. while my parents were restaurant owners and workers. Mm -hmm. So I definitely come from a working class background. Uh, I literally grew up in the restaurant and I come from a family of five and I would say I, I, I might have spent more time in the restaurant than any of them because uh, two weeks after I was born, my mom was back in the restaurant. Um, she, we At the time, we lived in an apartment uh, above the restaurant, so she took me down in the baby carrier and would set me like behind the register or on top of the horizontal freezer. So, like I said, I literally, literally grew up in the restaurant I rolled my first pair of silverware when I was in second grade. (laughs) 
And when my older sister went off to college, um, when I was in fifth grade, I started hosting on the weekends and I continued to help out on the weekends um, because eventually I did like join bands. So I was in marching band, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I would often get called in on Sundays because it was so busy. We would serve like 100 people in 90 minutes or wow. something crazy like that with a very small staff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I do sympathize when restaurants get busy around here, but I'm, I can't imagine them having more than maybe, I don't know, five tables at a time or something. Whereas, um, you know, I also worked in the restaurant for six years after graduating from college. And yeah, I would have at least 10, if not more tables at one time during Sundays. And you were probably very, very good at your job. I got better at yeah. it. I was, <laughs> I, you know, I consider myself an introvert and I'm also, I can also be a little shy and also just working at the restaurant was not what I wanted to do. Sure, <laughs> sure. And all, you've already had to spend so much time there as a kid. It's like, oh, this is not really where I want to right, work as but, an adult. Right. But, you know, the thing is um, I did have like a change of attitude towards the middle of my time there, um, you know, between college and grad school. Mm-hmm. And that shift in attitude really helped me in terms of, you know, no matter how small or big the task your position is, you have to make the most of every moment. And also being back home in my home region. So Appalachia is typically stereotyped as poor, white, and backwards. So, I mean, I'm not sure if this is the reason that a lot of my peers have left, but Radford is a place where the students don't always stay. They go off to quote unquote bigger and better things. Mm-hmm. I guess in a sense, I used to have you know the same ideas that I was. I, so I've never been ashamed to be Asian. I can't always say the same about being Appalachian mm-hmm. because of the stereotypes mm-hmm. associated with it. Um, you know, I'm not gonna say any of the like white racial slurs that people use because. They're not worth repeating. They're not worth repeating, and also they are hurtful terms. And, you know, that's the policy I apply in my class. I'm like, you know, we're not going to say these racial slurs for people of color, and we're not going to say these racial slurs for white people Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of levels of privilege and oppression and hurt, you know, from class to um, gender that type of thing. Yeah. But I can honestly say that in the time that I waitress at home between college and grad school, it did help me to have a greater appreciation for the people um, of Appalachia because I was able to get to know them on a more personal level. And, you know, a lot of them were um, longtime family friends, but Mm -hmm. even growing up, you know, you see all these faces, you hear all these names, but you don't really get to know them. Mm -hmm. But because I was home, for those years, I was able to get to know them yeah, and better. And my cust- you know, our customers range from, uh, you know, nurses, teachers, janders to, um, you know, even the mayor of the city. So I got to um, meet and connect with a wide range of people. And, you know, Appalachia, like Asian America, is not a monolith. Sure, for sure. Yeah. I think you started to touch on this a little bit. How do you 
create a, I don't know, this term gets thrown around a lot too, but how do you create a safe learning environment in your classroom, particularly when issues, I'm guessing probably maybe in the literature that you teach, there's going to be, there's going to be issue, you know, there's only going to be discussions of racism or sexism. How do you, how do you foster kind of productive conversations about that? Knowing that a lot of students may be coming, especially in Indiana, you know, a lot of students might be coming in with preconceived notions about a certain group or a certain type of person. That, you know, that's not actually a question I get asked a lot. Um, so I would describe myself as probably like a liberal, moderate. I mean, yeah, well, we're not going to talk politics today. <laughs> but I mean, at, at the same time, I mean, being Asian American is a political identity. Um, what I teach can be very political, obviously. I try to keep in mind that even though I'm teaching classes about Asian Americans from an Asian American perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is just, I think student, you know, sometimes I do need to say that at, on the first day of class because one of the activities that I do is what do you think of when you hear Asian, Asian American? And, you know, a lot of the stereotypes do come up, model minority. Uh, some people say Hello Kitty, uh, food, you know, certain kinds of food, uh, certain more popular, the more popular Asian American, Asian Asian American actors and actresses, mm-hmm. you know, Lucy Liu, Bruce Lee, um, even Jackie Chan. Uh, so I have to remember that everyone is approaching the class from with different experiences, different backgrounds. And I mean, this is kind of the same for any class. You don't know who your audience is. So you need to teach in a way that tries to be as objective and empathetic as possible. And you also have to keep in mind that you're not going to reach every student at that moment in time. But you hope that something you've said or taught will impact a student maybe further down the line. Um, But yeah, I do my best to remember that I'm teaching to everyone, even if, you know, Asian American studies was a field obviously created for Asian Americans to see themselves reflected in the curriculum, to know about the history of their ancestors and this, you know, country that we call home. So yeah, I try my best to be as empathetic as possible to all perspectives and experiences so that I try not to lose any of my students along the way. Of course, sometimes I do. Um, One topic that is very controversial, um, I think, between all um, non-white populations is microaggressions. Mm -hmm. And last semester, um, well, I feel like every semester I get students who just don't understand why it's an issue or they say that are these white students who don't understand or students of color who don't understand? Um, or both? Both. Okay. It can be both. Um, some Asian American students are like, you know, I just kind of shake it off. You That's know. probably how I would have responded you in know, college. Or I don't see it as a big issue, mm-hmm. you know. And then, you know, some white students might be like, well, you know, the person who is supposedly being mi- micro 
aggressed against. <laughs> I guess I don't know. It's all you know, new terminology sure. or newer t- terminology. But the person who is supposedly being violated, I know that's a strong word, but being violated, they're being hateful back. So there's that whole argument about there being hate (laughs) on both sides. I imagine it just sounds like it must be kind of vulnerable for you to be in this position. Do you, is that, is is that kind of reflective of your experience? Yes. Because you're an Asian American teaching about Asian Americans, about some of the injustices that you have probably experienced yes, yourself. I exactly. I feel like that would be really hard. Yeah. So um, it it is hard because you know Asian American studies is still an academic discipline, mm-hmm. but we also can't dismiss people's lived experiences. Mm-hmm. So I guess my cha- well, I have a bigger challenge since I'm an artist teaching in an academic discipline. Yeah. Usually most people teaching in my field have PhDs and are um, researchers. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a poet. Um, I do have a terminal degree, so I, that does qualify me to some extent to teach. Um, but I think you probably just have a different mindset or approach to it, right, as, a, as an artist versus an academic. Yeah, so I try to balance. So I love teaching with media. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to take a, both a creative and academic approach where I you know I show my students plenty of media um, if I'm teaching the literature class obviously they're reading you know a lot of great contemporary Asian American authors um, but I also try to um, balance that with the research that so many amazing scholars have done to help them you know think a little more critically about what's happening in the media, in the literature. Um, but you're right. Sometimes, you know, and so I guess I've been doing this for about four to five years now. And yeah, early on, um, I did rely a little more on my own experience because I was still finding my bearings. And, um, you know, to be honest, I did not have the opportunity to take that many Asian American studies classes as myself. Um, I didn't take any, and I wish I had. Right. Um, So, but you're right. It can be a challenge because the very topics I'm talking about, I've often experienced them Mm -hmm. or been the, I don't want to say victim. Victim is also, I feel like, a very strong word. but Recipient. Yeah, recipient. Yeah, I think that is a better better word. But yeah, I've been the recipient of, um, you know, microaggressions of gender stereotyping, mm-hmm. uh, you know, very blatant discrimination, you know, our, our fate, you know, our favorite, um, form of racism right now, you know, go home. Right. You know, send her go back. back to your own country. Yeah. Send her back. You know. yeah. yeah. I'm curious how, what a typical, if there is such thing as typical, what a typical work day or week looks like for you, especially, uh, how you balance your art and your role as a teacher? Like, how do you make time, find time, whatever it is, to do your own writing and also to keep up with all the demands that I know come with being an educator? Uh, you're right. There really is no <laughs> typical day. Um, so let's see. If I had to say there was a typical week, 
Um, so yes, you're right. I do divide my time between two different institutions. So, you know, two to three days I'm at IU, two to three days I'm at Ivy Tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, some days I might be there both, um, at, you know, at both places. So I have to remember to switch my parking tags <laughs> so I don't get a ticket, you know, right, especially right. at IU. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I have what I call teaching days and then at Ivy Tech I actually primarily uh, I, st- I started primarily as a tutor mm-hmm. so I have tutoring days but actually this semester uh, I'm gonna actually have I feel like I have more teaching days <laughs> than than tutoring days or some days I'm doing both so in terms of finding time for my art I'm still very involved in the writing community um i'm just i just do it in my own way um and the not so much this year but in the past you know i've done a lot of readings i coordinated a poetry series for six years here in bloomington i still find time to submit my work uh i think the challenge right now for me is carving out that time especially with my having teaching load this semester to do new work mm-hmm. because i feel like i've gone through a lot of different experiences, especially, um, you know, in 2019 that, um, I think are going to inform and better my work. Okay. And do you have any advice for Asian Americans who want to go into the arts like poetry or, or some, or some of the, or other literary arts? Well, I'm going to give the obviously generic advice that I think all writers give to the writers, you know, really, um, I guess do it for the right reasons. Mm. Um, I actually don't hear that nearly as often as I think it should be said. Well, do it for the right reasons. Um, you know, really ask yourself why you're doing this. So, uh, you know, I can't speak for other people, but as for me, I've often felt silenced mm. in my life and, a, you know, a little bit of part of that is coming from a um, larger family, and I'm the middle child, and <laughs> so I don't feel like my voice was always heard. So yeah, I, I felt silenced a lot in my life, and I also, you know, in class growing up, and even now sometimes in group meetings and stuff, I don't feel comfortable speaking up because I'm unsure of my voice. In poetry... I feel like sometimes that is where I'm the most honest Mm. because poetry for me is a kind of freedom where it's not necessarily that I can just say anything I want, but it helps me to get closer to the truth of reality, if that makes any Mm -hmm. sense at all. Um, But yeah, do it for the right reasons. Obviously study your craft, you know, read as many authors, not just Asian American authors, but all kinds of writers. Uh, you know, community has been very important to my work, um, whether that's, you know, being in a workshop or even curating a poetry series where I get to, you know, hear so many different voices, you know, work on representation. Mm-hmm. Um, did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah, okay. that's perfect. I, That's been my experience, you know, as editor of Mochi Magazine, just I've been. I feel so lucky now that I get to read articles written by and for Asian Americans all the time, and I think that really that I think that has helped shape 
my work, my own personal writing mm-hmm. as well. I think getting to read the works of other people and getting to select the works and kind of give feedback on them is also really, really helpful. So, well, thank you so much, Lisa, for your time today. Thank you for inviting me, Jennifer. Thanks for tuning in to Chief Executive Ante. You can find show notes, resource links, and more Ante rants at chiefexecutiveante.com. That's chiefexecutiveauntie.com. Special thanks to Sue Ann Shaw, who mixed and mastered this episode and composed the music, Alyssa De La Rosa, who created the branding, and my distribution partner, Mochi Magazine. Check out more stories for Asian American women at www.mochimag.com. That's M-O-C-H-I-M-A-G.com. See you next time. Thank you.